Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world you get in four minutes. We start things off in Glendale, Arizona. They defeat the Atlanta Falcons 25-23 on a last-second field goal. Kyler, Kyler Murray's return, 19-32, 249 yards, no touchdown passing, one touchdown rushing, one pick. Kyler, how'd it feel? Yeah, I mean, Trey laid it up, you know, I mean, catch and run, I mean, made some huge plays. I think he went over 100, I don't know how many catches, but it was like guys breaking tackles, you know, I juiced him the first one, and I didn't like his ball security, and he came off and he knew it before I even told him. That's Jonathan Gannon, head coach, and he's talking about Trey McBride, who had over 100 yards receiving, eight catches, 131 for no touchdowns. Here is Kyler Murray with his six rushes for 33 yards. Happy to win. Uh, at all of that, that was, uh, that's all I was worried about was winning. Now Cardinals are at Houston Sunday, kickoff 11 o'clock. Wow. They went through the three seed, the two seed, the one seed, and then beat another one seed. The rising champions of the USL Championship League. They beat Charleston in penalty kicks. They're down 1-0. They score in the 90th minute. Then they're down 2-0 in the PKs, and they score three straight. Charleston misses three straight, and they are the champions of the USL. Nashville 7-5. Keller and Cooley each had three points apiece. Andre Turney, what would you think of Logan Cooley? No, he was really good. He was uh, yeah, he was competitive. Uh, I think um, him and Zach had a good, they have a good chemistry on and off the ice. And uh, Zach is really good for him. And Cooley's respond really well tonight. Breaking. Defenseman. Defenseman also had six points. Yotes now take on Dallas tomorrow. Face off 6 o'clock. Everybody's winning except the team that's supposed to win. Suns went 0-2 this weekend. Lost to the Lakers 122-119. Lost the fourth quarter to the Lakers 33-23. They turned around and lost yesterday to Oklahoma City and lost the fourth quarter of that game 31-13 for a total of 64-36 in fourth quarter losses over the weekend. Frank Vogel, what's going on? Yeah, tough quarter. Um, I think t- tonight's fourth quarter is different than you know some of the other fourth quarter struggles we've had. Uh, last 48 hours, put a lot of uh, work into our execution. I felt like our execution was better. Shots just didn't fall. Off till Wednesday. Suns take on the Timberwolves Wednesday night at home. What a weekend for U of A fans. Beat Duke on Friday, 78-73. Beat Colorado, that was basketball. Beat Colorado in football, 34-31. When they didn't lead until the final buzzer, they now take on Utah Saturday at 12-30. Win for basketball against Texas Southern. They play Thursday against UMass Lowell. Win for football, 17-7, when the head coach looked up plays on YouTube earlier in the week a soundness to it. It's not just go out there and hope it works. Right? That wasn't the plan. The plan was go out there, if they move, I'm not going to go into the complete plan, but there was a plan. <laughs> it worked. They take on Oregon Saturday at 2 o'clock. 
59-55 over NAU. They play Friday at 7 against San Francisco. And finally, a California man spent $21,000 on fake gold. Now, it's a little understandable why he didn't know it was fake gold. Because the gold was magnetized, which doesn't happen. The gold's weight didn't match the weight printed on the gold bar, which I'm sure was just a typo. The gold was sold to him in a California city called Inland Empire in a back alley. Sure, not a dead giveaway. And the fake gold bars were sold to him by a man driving a Honda Accord. If you would like to help police, his name's Randy and the car is green that sold the fake gold for $21,000 out of a Honda Accord. (laughs) Jackpot Unplugged Army, I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tea time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off, plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat. You walk over for happy hour with your wife. You might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime. Or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. I mean, sons, what are you doing? You've lost back-to-back fourth quarters by a combined score of 64-36 on a weekend that ASU has a basketball sweep, U of A has a basketball sweep, GCU wins, the Cardinals come back and win, and we've got a USL championship. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is that you've decided to make Duck Bronze unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Duck Bronze, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world. Totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and your television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. How are you? Sorry for the weird color combination today. I think you look great. I think it'll look like a doofus, but thank you. <laughs> it's uh, it's also a two Mountain Dew day, so deal with it. Um, just some days are just the way it is. The time change has kind of messed me up on Mondays. 
So obviously being in Arizona, and you might be wondering, well, what does the time change have to do with you? Uh, Sunday night football starts at 5.15 for our time during the early part of the season because it's always at 8.15 Eastern. Now that 8.15 Eastern is 6.15 our time, my show on 12 News, the 12 News Sports Tonight, that doesn't start until 11 o'clock. So I now get home at midnight and I don't get all of my work done by the time it's time to start getting ready shower, shave, get a tie on, and get downtown. So because of that, you know, I got to bed about 1.30, 1.45 this morning and then turned around and got up. I slept in until uh, 4.10, which is very late for me. So I, I am just in this weird haze like, hey, we've got to have two Mountain Dews to be able to get through the day. What a crazy weekend. Uh, you know, nationally with the Jim Harbaugh into the Michigan game, against uh penn state so you you have that craziness and then you have u of a's huge win at duke and then turn around and never even lead in your in regulation u of a never led think about that in the regulation portion of the game u of a never led until quote unquote the game was over was their first lead asu kenny dillingham watched plays on youtube and then coached those plays up they went with the old school swinging gate offense to surprise UCLA. So you've got that. Then, of course, Kyler Murray. And Sunday night, the USL Championship is an incredible matchup for uh, the Rising. And I'll, I'll get at that uh, in, into a minute. So there's all that. And then for all of us here at WTSMTV.com, Saturday was an enormous day. I've been talking about it for a little while. If you have just tuned in to Doug Franz Unplugged for the first time, maybe you, you have no idea what's going on. Thank you for being here. I had a three-hour conversation with a man by the name of Ron Miniger. Ron Miniger is the former COO of the Arizona Cardinals. And he was there from right around 2000 until right before COVID. And when I say right before COVID, I mean officially leaving like December of 2019, January of 2020 and COVID uh, in, in, in the minds of the modern COVID. I mean, it was here much before that, but it was Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz in a game against Oklahoma City that tested positive pregame that suddenly shut down the country. It was like, wow, nobody's really getting it. And then, boom, once Rudy got it, everybody stopped for some reason. I don't know why Rudy was that important. But, (laughs) okay, can't go out to dinner anymore, just like that. So, with that, the world changed. Well, Ron Miniger left the Cardinals right before that. So, he had information on the way Michael Bidwell treated employees. He had information on the burner phone situation, which is an arbitration case filed by Terry McDonough within the NFL against Michael uh, Bidwill. And there's a lot of other things that we talked about and trying to help your life a little bit as well. So there's a lot to get to. We'll get to that in a little bit later. But that was a large portion of all of our day here at WTSM TV on on Saturday. So we did that for a long time and then went home and tried to get caught up on everything I had missed that day. And then all day yesterday was getting caught up. So it was a, it was a crazy weekend, but man, what a, what a great weekend. Hopefully you enjoyed it as well. And then um, let me tell you about the plan of which is still being formulated, to be honest. When I interviewed Ron Miniger Saturday, 
I never expected to talk to him for three hours. Point blank. Never expected that. So we have a lot of work to do this week to be able to present it to you. I plan on giving you anywhere between 15-minute and 45-minute snippets all week long here on Doug Franz Unplugged. And then uh, all while I'm doing that, during the week, I plan on working with CEO Chris, Jeff Weir Production, Izzy, and trying to formulate kind of a game plan of maybe one 60-minute show, maybe three 30-minute shows. How do we divide that up and to make it a little more digestible for you? And then I, when, uh, when we've used everything correctly, television wise i plan on giving you the three hours unedited to judge for yourself what do you think uh about michael bidwell the arizona cardinals the reason why this is a big deal is because every member of the media every media outlet in the country is trying to talk to ron miniger and we talked to him first in the sense of an exclusive interview he has talked to other people before to clarify certain points, but never a long-form conversation. And uh, I, I thought that was very powerful of him to do that. And I think that you're going to really enjoy this week of Doug Franz Unplugged. And I, um, if you are listening to me right now, Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, and you haven't discussed or talked things over with possibly becoming a member of the visual version of the Unplugged Army, Go to WTSMTV.com and figure out what price point is best for you. And I think that uh, this is going to be a week that you're going to want to be a part of it. Also, premium members, good luck to you. Premium members this month, you have an opportunity, and it's already November 13th, so we got about two weeks left. You have an opportunity to win a foursome at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass, plus wedges on top of it, plus lunch at Civlick. This price package is valued at over $1,000. So even if you're not a golfer, to be able to give a golfer, could you imagine for Christmas, you don't shop and you give somebody $1,000 gifts, a worth of gifts, or even better, if you're kind of smart like me, you divide it up. Give one golfer lunch at Civlick and a foursome. Give another golfer the wedges. <laughs> now you just knocked off two gifts. Or if you now, or if you really want to be cheesy, give one wedge to three different people. <laughs> now, that's not all that crazy either. So uh, that went on. Uh, that's going on all of this month. So strongly consider becoming a premium member. At least become a uh, plus member so you can uh, watch some of these shows, or a live member so you can watch these interviews as we air them for the first time. I think you're going to, uh, if, if you're a hardcore Cardinals fan, I think this is information that you're going to want. Uh, Jeff, your production, did you do anything thrilling this weekend other than you know the fact that I saw you for three hours on Saturday? Oh, very busy weekend. Uh, moving again. Oh, dear God. Yeah. So that was interesting. Well, can I tell you that our friendship just went up in strength and value? <laughs> Why is that? Because you didn't call me. Oh, well, I can handle it. I know, but I still, hate it. But. I still, we're... we're the, the cutoff is 28, if you're wondering. That's an official law. The cutoff is 28 years old, where pizza and beer no longer are acceptable as a free gift for helping a friend move. At 28 years old, two choices. Or I say three choices. Move yourself, pay for a mover, don't move. 
That's it. Okay? <laughs> Those are the three options. You do not call a friend for help in moving after 28 years old. Well, I have a younger brother that uh, we get to do all the grunt work. There so. you go. Well, that's that's totally acceptable. That's up to you. I mean, I don't know what your family dynamic is, but just I'm not in it. I, I ain't helping anybody move anymore. Those days are long gone. It's funny, too. We have this. We have a piano in our house from the 1800s, okay? And this piano, I don't know what kind of wood it's made out of, but it it ain't hollowed out, okay? This thing is heavy. And I've only moved it once in my life. And I said, after that, I'm never moving this thing again. And every time we've ever moved, every mover has brought like two guys over thinking that's going to be enough. And I've told each mover, don't send two guys. You won't be able to move the piano. Oh, okay, okay. And every time we've moved anywhere in the country, two guys have shown up to move the piano. And then they complain, whine, want somebody grabs their back. Then they have to call backup. And the move has lasted an hour and a half longer than the estimate every single time. And it's always because of the piano. It's like they never figured it out. So that piano ain't moving. You buy the house now, you get the piano. And we'll charge you for the piano. Because we're, we're I'm not taking that thing with me if I ever move again. I don't think I got anything else. Uh, sound credits today. Let's see what we got. We got a lot of stuff to get through, and we got to go fast today. Kenny Dillingham. I got uh, Kenny Dillingham from Sun Devil Source on YouTube. Uh, Joshua Dobbs from the Torchbearers podcast. You have to hear what he had to say on the Torchbearers podcast. Uh, JG, we got from azcardinals.com, or on their YouTube page, one or the other. Kyler Murray, same thing. So free plug for azcardinals.com where you can see the press conferences. Um, Oh, that was nice of you, Jeff, for your production. It says, Miniger one. Nice work. (laughs) <laughs> thank you jeff i give myself b plus uh if you're wondering on well, i highly enjoyed it thank you uh andre Torini, we got him from uh the coyotes pr department and uh frank vogel we got a coach from the sun's pr department boy i got a lot of things to talk about today and i say that as a positive but man we've got to move yet i realize everything that happened in glendale today or yesterday We're going to be talking about that for a long time, okay? A long time. But it doesn't change the fact that there's one rule on Doug Franz Unplugged, which I had never made before and I'm making today. You win a championship, you get Doug's big one. Let's roll. Doug's big one. Are the rising the number one topic in Phoenix today? No, they are not. Kyler Murray, on the exact day 11 months ago that he gets hurt, leads the team to only their second victory, and it was exciting. The team looks a lot better. So I get it. The world is talking about Kyler Murray, and we will be too at some point. But when you win a championship, you are the number one story to me, even if other people disagree. And that belongs to the Phoenix Rising. And the story of what they have accomplished, I don't care that it's a minor league. All right? And some people would even say the major league is a minor league. Now, with the expansion fees it takes to get into MLS, it ain't minor anymore. But obviously, MLS does not rank up there with the English Premier League. It does not rank up there with La Liga. It doesn't rank up there with some of the great UEFA tournaments. I'm not saying it does. All right? I agree. I understand. But I don't care what we're talking about. When a team enters into the playoffs as the sixth seed, has the hardest possible trip to a championship. They had to beat the three, then they had to beat the two, then they had to beat the one 
to get into the championship. And guess who won the other bracket? The one. They went through the three, the two, the one, and the one to become USL champions. Now, in case you don't know how the clock works in soccer, I agree. As a big soccer fan, I think the clock is stupid. I will always think it's stupid. And other people that love soccer think I'm stupid, just so you know, for thinking the way they run the clock in soccer is stupid, okay? But just so you understand it, you play 90 minutes, you play two 45-minute halves, and then a timekeeper on the sideline keeps track of all the time you're not playing soccer during the 45 minutes. Instead of just saying, you know, let's just stop the clock and then we'll restart it when we start playing soccer. We let the clock keep going and some guy stares at his clock. Horribly inefficient. But hey, it's Europe, so that's why it's inefficient. So then they add time back on. That's called stoppage time. So if you ever see 45 plus something, that means first half after the 45 minutes are over. 90 plus something means regulation part is over, but all of the time in the second half they weren't playing soccer, we've added that back, so it's 90 plus something. Then if you're tied after all that, you then go into what's called extra time. There's not sudden death. You play two 15-minute periods during extra time, and after that, you either have a winner or you go to penalty kicks. The path for the Phoenix Rising, the spirit of their comebacks, is unbelievable and how many times they were down this year there's eight playoff positions in the western conference at one point this team was the 11 seed there's no such thing as the 11 seed they struggled that much in the middle of their season fought back to get the sixth seed round one against san diego they're winning by a goal they're going to advance and in 90 plus seven Meaning if everybody would have kept playing, the game would have ended seven minutes ago, but we kept going because there were so many stoppages during the second half. San Diego scores to tie it. So you play two 15-minute periods. That means a total of 120 minutes. In the 119th minute, the Phoenix Rising beat San Diego. So they advanced by a score of 2-1. to one. Then they take on Orange, uh, Orange County. I think I got that score right, by the way. They take on Orange County. And in Orange County, they score in the 116th minute. That means there's only four minutes left in the two overtime periods they play that are called extra time. So they have that sterling victory. That was the two seed. Then they take on the one seed, Sacramento. And in Sacramento, they're losing one nothing. They're not going to win this game. By the way, I was dead wrong on the score because now that I remember the, the San Diego score, I think it was 4-3. to three. Sacramento, they're down one nothing In the 80th minute, 10 minutes before they're going to lose, they score to tie it. And then 12 minutes later, in 90 plus 2, they score again to win it 2-1. to one. Now they go to Charleston. And they take on the Charleston battery, give up a goal in the first half, they're down one nothing In the 90th minute of the game, the game is about to end. And their center back, this is kind of like Buda Baker, all right? Their safety, in a sense. A soccer safety is the center back. The center back flies up the field, and he heads it in at the end of the game to tie it. Nobody scores in either of the two extra times. They go into PKs. The first PK, and that means where you, it's officially called kicks from the spot. And just like you saw with the USWNT when Megan Rapino shanked her penalty kick all right the first play for phoenix rising the first kick 
I don't know what this guy was doing. Biggest Yahoo PK I've ever seen. Don't tell me he had big onions to try it. It was a doofus move, and somebody's got to call it out. They end up being down 2 nothing. You have five rounds of PKs. They're down 2 to nothing. It is almost impossible to win down 2 to nothing in PKs. I guarantee you it's impossible to beat a 3 seed, a 2 seed, a 1 seed, and a 1 seed in which two of the games go into extra time and the championship game you score in the 90th minute and you're down 2-0 in PKs. And the rising score three straight goals in the PKs and there are three straight stops, two shanks and a save against Charleston and the rising win in PKs, their first championship. I think it should have been their second championship. In 2020, they were better than Orlando, but they didn't get the opportunity to, it might have been Tampa Bay Rowdies, but they didn't get the opportunity to beat Tampa Bay because of COVID. This is their first championship and it is the most deserved and earned championship you have just about ever seen. So we have two times in this city where there has been a team that everybody counted out, I was the one that counted out the Diamondbacks, that everybody counted out, barely made the playoffs, went through an incredibly difficult road and got to the cusp of a championship, and the Rising were the team that was able to overcome. Today's Doug's big one, even though I don't have a beer and no, I don't want one. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I don't need one. (laughs) Cheers to my friends with the Phoenix Rising. You are on top of the soccer world until there's an MLS champion. You deserve everything today in celebration. What a fantastic season. And anybody that has been watching you in the playoffs is jacked up. Congratulations, boys. Hopefully you enjoyed that story. That's it. There's no real opinion. Just congratulations because that was that was phenomenal to watch. All right. We have an, an incredible amount of stuff. I tell you what, I want to play our Ron Miniger conversation. Um, let's do that now. Let's do that now, if you don't mind, Jeff, for your production. Again, this is the beginning of my three-hour conversation with Ron Miniger. You're going to get, now, before you freak out, Doug, I'm driving to work. I don't have three hours. I'm just playing 15 minutes of it right now. Okay, the first 15 minutes of the conversation. And I want you to know a little bit of the background of the story before I tell it or before I talk to him. Ron Miniger is a gentleman that I now consider a friend. I didn't when he worked there. And that wasn't me being a jerk. Nothing was between us. I respected him greatly, but he's on the business side of things. When you're on the business side of things and I'm the talent, I'm more involved. I know it's a dumb title, but that's what they call us in radio and in television, the talent. Uh, or the people that are on air. Um, It's a case where I'm involved with media relations. I'm involved with the players. I'm involved with the coaches. I don't do anything with the business side at all. But there were times where Ron Miniger was in in a locker room. There were times when he was at the radio station. There are times, especially in Flagstaff, that I would see him briefly talk. He knew me. I knew him. That's about it. Our friendship actually started over the course of the last few months of getting to know him, getting to know his struggles with alcoholism and getting to know more about the situation with Michael Bidwell and the Cardinals and trying to do my due diligence to be fair to everybody involved. And um, I wasn't going to say this, but I'll just tell you, he was in the room 
if you've read any of the stories about Michael Bidwell, when Michael Bidwell absolutely flipped out on a female employee by the name of Amanda Flanagan, just went off. I heard about that through the grapevine, and then I contacted Ron Miniger and asked to talk to him about it. And I didn't get a lot of information for, for a long time. And then as I was getting more information from other places, presenting it to him, okay, there's this, there's this. He asked me something very interesting. He told me, I, I don't want to talk to you about this. And the reason why is I don't want you to know anything. And the reason why I don't want you to know things is because you could ruin the negotiations that are going on with her and the situation with the Arizona Cardinals. And I, I don't, this woman was wronged and she deserves to have people make this right. So I don't want to be having these conversations. Well, little by little, other media outlets kept reporting things that I had talked to Ron Miniger about months ago. So I'm kind of on top of the story. I hate to say it, but allowing myself to get scooped because he said I could screw up somebody's life by reporting some of these things. And it bothered me because this is Doug Franz Unplugged. And I want to lift this podcast to new heights. I've got information that's going to make us, you know, really improve the show, really help out my exposure and do all of these things. And he convinced me that the right thing to do by one individual was to keep my mouth shut. It drove me nuts. But I agreed with him that I thought that was right. And every time I presented new information to him, he, uh, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say, you're wrong, that's not right. He never said that. He would just say, I would ask you not to go there right now. <laughs> well, after the negotiations concluded with Amanda Flanagan, he was much more willing to tell me things, and he was very clear with me. He said, I'm only willing to talk to you about this because of one reason. The record was set incorrectly. The record was set when I told the Arizona Cardinals they could only use my resignation letter and my Alcoholics Anonymous make amends letter when I was prepared for both to come out and only if they're both out in their entirety. And the Arizona Cardinals completely and utterly violated that trust and embarrassed themselves. If you don't know the story... In retaliation for the arbitration case filed by Terry McDonough, the Arizona Cardinals released portions of the actual make amends letter written by Ron Miniger. He specifically and explicitly told them, do not release it in parts and only release it when I give you final approval and I'm ready for you to do that. They violated that. And this is a letter you write as a as somebody struggling with alcoholism when you're coming to grips with all the things you've done wrong. And you do it as part of your making amends to truly come clean and hold yourself accountable. It is the most emotional thing an alcoholic will ever do as part of their recovery. And the Arizona Cardinals 100% abuse that man's trust and embarrass themselves, not as a football team, as a professional organization in this city. And when I found out about that, I was interested in helping somebody set the record straight. This is not him trying to attack Michael Bidwell. It's just him trying to right a wrong that attacked his reputation. And he knows full well how hard he has to work to rebuild that reputation because he could have killed you or me through a series of events in which he had been a drunk driver, he believes, multiple times. And he knows for sure about one time when he was arrested for a DUI. 
I felt like it was very important that if we're going to go down this road of believing a guy whose life got turned upside down after a DUI, we needed to start by establishing his credibility. I begin to with the first 15 minutes of my conversation. Here's an exclusive to WTSMTV.com and Doug Franz Unplugged. The former COO of the Arizona Cardinals on Unplugged, Ron Miniger. Weird way to start off, yeah. but who are you? <laughs> As of the way your life has turned, who is the Ron yeah. Miniger of 2023? So we're going straight into the meaning of life, huh? Yes. I don't forget. Yeah, great question. Um, uh, blessed man, I guess I'll start with that, right? It's been a, been an interesting couple of years, but if I take a look at uh, the entirety of my life, I've been truly blessed throughout, you know, great parents, great family, all those kinds of things. Had an opportunity to work in sports, uh, which uh, never was the intent initially here, but uh, just had a, a really blessed career working in sports for, you know, um, for a lot of years, I guess, going from, 19, from 1985 until just a couple of years ago. And so, um, I can I can spend a lot of time thinking about mm-hmm. you know all the the great things that happened. I can also talk uh, and I have lately an awful lot about you know the, the mistakes I've made and the, the trouble I caused uh, for not only myself but the organization I used to work for and the people that I love and are, are near and dear to me. But at the end of the day, I'm a blessed guy, and uh, the reason I can say that is uh, you know I know I've been forgiven you know from a faith perspective. Number one, number two, uh, I'm sitting here alive today um, and uh, very thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Thankful that I didn't physically hurt anybody as I went through. The, the dark period of my life from, uh, you know, from, from drinking and driving that uh, uh, has always been a part of my life this last, uh, you know, four years now. So I'm just blessed to be here. I'm mm-hmm. glad, uh, glad to, uh, you know, have a, a fresh view of life. And it really did cause me an opportunity or gave me an opportunity to, you know, to take a hard look at myself, who I was. And uh, so I think I'm still evolving from that perspective, but I'm a blessed man. I'll answer it like it, that. It, it's interesting you said that because, of course, your DUI was going to be a topic. Sure. But... I admit I wasn't going to throw you the fastball this early. (laughs) And yet just in asking who you are now, you still pulled that answer through the prism of the DUI. So it's, it's still right there front and center in a way. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, something that uh, in some respects was the worst thing that, uh, that I've uh, ever done and been involved with. And in some, in some ways it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's that's how I choose to look at it. Uh, The reality is, is it it made me take a hard look at myself and who I'd become uh, getting back to the first question you asked me. Mm -hmm. And the the reality was, is that I was a frustrated guy, frustrated uh, at a lot of things in life on the personal side, uh, uh, way beyond frustrated from a work perspective. And how I dealt with that wasn't right, you know. And uh, if you would have asked me back in the day, you know, Ron, are you an alcoholic? I would said no. You know, I, I'd love to have a, you know, go out and have a beer and a, a drink, uh, you know, Tito's and cranberry with anybody else. But I uh, never saw that as a problem. Well, the, the reality was is that my actions spoke differently, and it it, it had become a crutch for me. And so uh, I can't uh, go through a day, and I choose not to go through a day where that isn't part of the prism that I'm looking at it from, because it always, I think, uh, it helps me kind of keep honest as to who I am. And it's a reminder as to what could happen again if I slide back into that. And I'm not going to allow that to happen. So following that, 
When's the last time you allowed it to happen? When, when's the last time you had a drink? Uh, three or three years, four months, and twenty-one days. Yeah, so I, I forget how many hours, but yeah, it's been almost three and a half years. Uh, I think it was uh, June twenty-first uh, of that year, and uh, uh, I, I can honestly say, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and the stopping drinking was just the first part. The big part for me, quite honestly, where I started to feel like, okay, I got a chance at this thing, was when I got actively involved with AA, you know, Alcoholics okay. Anonymous, and uh, it's a program program that uh, is, is, is truly uh, fantastic. I, I've seen it help an awful lot of men and women. And I can truly tell you that uh, since I made that conscious decision, um, you know, to, to quit drinking almost three and a half years ago, I haven't had one thought about doing it again, having, having a drink. Uh, however, I will tell you that, uh, you know, my faith life, number one, and then uh, AA, uh, I think are the reasons I don't have those thoughts mm -hmm. anymore. So, um, yeah, but uh, it's, it, it is a situation where I do truly feel blessed uh, that uh, I'm at where I'm at today. When, when it happened, mm -hmm. um, just so anyone watching understands our relationship, we had a, a good business relationship, but let's face it, we were not friends. Right. Um, and it was because we're on two different planes, me sure. being the talent level, I'm more closer to media relations, yeah. you more on the business side, but you knew my bosses and, and, and did a lot of contract work with my bosses and things like that, representing yeah. the Arizona Cardinals at the time. But as soon as I saw that famous mugshot, yeah. My thought, even though it's about 13 months different than Steve Kimes DUI, it was like, what are they doing over there? Yeah. You know, that was yeah. that was the first thing. Tell me about your your first initial conversation with Michael Bidwell after yeah. the DUI. Yeah, that was uh, I don't mean to laugh either. That's uh, just a that's a tough conversation. I had a bunch of tough conversations in those first couple hours. And uh, I don't remember the specific specifics of it other than to say that, uh, you know, I was embarrassed as you can possibly be. Uh, and he was as angry as you possibly can be and uh, you know I will forever uh, you know regret you know putting him in that position putting the organization in that position putting my family in that position and putting anybody that loved and cared about me in that position where you know they they, they had to go through that along with me so it was uh, wasn't a pleasant conversation nor should it have been you say nor should it have been mm -hmm. fair yep but in that conversation you just mentioned Michael's extremely angry and he had a right sure. to be of course he did. Yeah. But did you ever feel there was a sincerity about your well-being? Did yeah. he ever did he ever ask you, Ron, are 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 you a drunk? Did he ever yeah. say, what can we do to make sure this never happens again? Or did you just feel fire and brimstone? Yeah. Great question. Uh, and I want to be a little bit mindful about how I answer it, because at the end of the day, once again, it was my actions that caused this. Right. Uh, and my actions that got us into this situation and all that. Um, I, I guess if I'm being uh, truly honest about it, uh, I I don't think uh, there was ever an effort to make sure I was getting, um, you know, getting that any help that I might need. Now, it's different than uh, he made sure I went to, you know, the uh, um, AA or not AA classes, the mandatory court ordered classes. Okay. Uh, I had conversations. I went and met with uh, the woman from uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And, you know, that was that that program is is uh is incredible you know and uh, for somebody that has gone you know is is guilty of, of drunk driving like i was to sit and, and have that conversation was difficult so uh, you know my honest uh, assessment of that whole situation was um it was more punishment than it was support um but uh i i don't think that was solely based on the incident itself i think that was partly a result of where he and i had evolved over the six eight ten months leading up to that point in time 
how did that evolution take place? Uh, what, uh, where let's let, you know what? I think better to go back in the beginning. Sure. So you are make sure I have your resume correct. Yep. You are an advanced employee with the Disney Sports Corporation. At that time, they both owned the Angels and what were called the Anaheim Mighty Ducks then. Yep. And you were heavily involved in them. So you're yep. working in the Anaheim area. I'm assuming life is great. You had come from the Northern Plains sure. where you were highly successful. And in only 15 years, you had been able to advance from minor league guru, uh, ticket operator with uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and you're doing very well in Anaheim. And then Michael Bidwill contacts you sure. about the potential of working for the Cardinals. Tell me what brought you here. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question. So I had gotten, uh, you know, who was uh, recruited to go out to Anaheim uh, by one of the, you know, major uh, sports recruitment firms back in the day. And, uh, you know, I was uh, working in the Midwest, as you mentioned, and it was having actually a lot of fun with it in a lot of regards. There's some, there's some, uh, you know, some great things that happened both at the NBA level, but also some of the minor league, uh, you know, uh, ventures that I was involved with early days in the Continental Basketball Association. And then uh, for just a you year, were a team president in the CBA level, yeah, right? I didn't okay. start that way. I started out selling tickets, and then wow. a week later, I was president. No, that's a <laughs> slight exaggeration, but we know we had some really talented people working for that club okay. too, and had an enormous amount of success uh, there and collectively. Um, and then uh, I guess one of my uh, my claims to fame up in uh, Minneapolis before I came out to Anaheim was we got involved with a group that started a IHL club, International Hockey League club, oh. called the Minnesota Moose, uh, which was uh, short lived but an awful lot of fun. And I think my, uh, you know, the thing I'm best known there is uh, we, our Zamboni. We painted like a giant can of Spam. We called it the Spamboni. So uh, I think it was in Sports Illustrated, it was Signs of the Apocalypse, if I remember correctly. So, but anyway, yeah, I got recruited to go out to, uh, to Anaheim, uh, you know, uh, and initially the, the intent was just to work on the, on the, uh, the baseball side. Okay. And help with the marketing on that side and the sales on that side. And uh, uh, actually really enjoyed it. it. You know, Disney is uh, obviously a, you know, 800 pound grill when it comes to entertainment. It was their first venture into sports. And some of the ideas that they had uh, relative to, uh, you know, transferring entertainment type concepts to sports made a lot of sense. Some of it didn't, particularly for baseball. I know your passion for baseball, you would have hated it. Uh, <laughs> you would have absolutely hated it. Um, so, but uh, it got pulled into the, you know, some of the marketing side of the Mighty Ducks after, after my first year there. And uh, got a call out of the blue from, uh, from a friend of mine who I had known back uh, in the Timberwolves days and uh, said, hey, um, uh, the, Mike Bidwell uh, was asking uh, around, looking for somebody to come in. And I forget what the title was originally when I got here. I think it might have been VP of marketing or something like that. And, uh, you know, uh, the recruiter can't tell uh, him about you uh, because they just recruited you to Anaheim. So would you be okay if he, if he called in? I said, Sure, you know, always interested in being interested, right? And but at the time, as soon as he said Michael Bidwell, you had to be thinking. I think a lot of the history, yeah. maybe the, the national audience won't have any idea. Sure. But in the year 2000, yeah. that's only about, what, 13 years after the franchise moved. Yeah. So you are playing in a college football yeah. stadium on metal bleachers and 110 degrees. Yeah. The NFL won't allow you to move kickoff times yep. because it's got to be in the ticket window. The team isn't successful enough to play more primetime yeah. games more often. So you're selling tickets yeah. in basically a, a, heat, a microwave of a stadium yeah. and they've only been here 13 years yeah. a franchise that was kind of run out of st louis yeah. 
So the simple question is, why in the world did you take that call? Well, Doug, I'm sitting here with you, which proves that I'm not probably the brightest guy in the face. <laughs> here, so there's probably some probably some truth in that case, too. No, yeah, I, I will say this. I grew up uh, in the Midwest, was a Green Bay Packer fan. And for me, the NFL, your passion is, is baseball. For me, it was the NFL. Uh, I love baseball, you know, love hockey, love uh, the NBA. Uh, but my, you know, the, the thing that my family, my dad and I in particular, my, my dad, my, my brothers uh, spent every Sunday, you know, we'd go to church quick little dinner uh, you know, at, the, at the, the kitchen table. And then we all sat in front of the, the TV and watched Mark Starr and the Packers, you know, back in the day. And then Brett Favre and, and all these guys. And so, um, you know, that, that was something I was passionate about. And, you know, I, I, I was slightly aware of the Cardinals, but my recollection of the Cardinals was still mostly St. Louis, right? And uh, wasn't that attached to them. So I knew that they hadn't had an enormous amount of success. Um, so, you know, when uh, when I got approached, then I started doing my homework. And, you know, the, the perception of the call back then was they were cheap. They didn't have a plan. They didn't give a damn. I think they, you know, they had won 35% of their games, you know, at Sun Devil during the years that they were there. Um, 48% of the games they won uh, when they were in St. Louis. And, and But it was one of those things where, um, like I said before, you're always interested in being interested in the NFL's, you know, in my mind was at the top of the sports pyramid. So I thought it would be at least worth, um, you know, having a conversation. So early years. Yeah of you being a Cardinal. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of Michael Bidwell? Uh, <laughs> he's the reason I, I came, you know, to, to Arizona, quite frankly, because all of the other things that I, uh, that I had researched led me to, would have led me to the decision that I just politely declined, right? Yeah. Uh, because, um, you know, the people that I talked to, you know, were convinced that we weren't gonna win ever here in Arizona, convinced that, uh, you know, the stadium situation was completely fruitless, was never gonna change. You described the game day, you know, situation perfectly. You know, the uh, I think our biggest promotion uh, we did the first year was uh, asbestos boxer shorts. You know, so you could protect, protect yourself from the seats. Um, but it was, uh, you know, it was it was brutal. But and keep uh, in mind, in that time frame, you're competing against the new expansion yeah. franchise, a yeah. uh, Jerry Colangelo, yeah. who's the godfather yeah. of Phoenix run Diamondbacks yeah. organization, yeah. who then won a, uh, a World Series. Maybe yeah. I'm going to ballpark it at about uh, about a couple months after you got here. Yeah. I would guess. Yeah, 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 and, and you know, uh, Jerry was very shy, so you know, he never saw him in the media or anything like that, too. So yeah, they were kicking her ass. Part of my French. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but uh, you know, if, if if you know, if, as I recall, uh, and and I do recall, uh, but I had really favorable opinion of Michael. You know, he was uh, came across as very uh, charismatic uh, in our conversations. Um, came across, uh, he he was really supportive of my family at the time. Uh, he was uh, energetic, and I think that's the thing that that um, is important to me. Is like at the end of the day, if you don't have energy about whatever you're involved in, if you're not passionate about what you're in, you don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're facing all of the challenges that the club was at that point in time. So my uh, my uh, first impressions of Michael was, yeah, this, you know, this is a guy that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't know exactly, you know, how we need to do this because, you know, because he uh, hasn't grown up on, on the business side of this thing. He's been around it, but he recognizes that there's some things that we need to do. And he seems like he's got the energy uh, and the, you know, the, uh, the drive to, mm -hmm. to go out and do this. And, and ultimately, I believe we would get a stadium built ultimately i did believe that we were going to put together a winning football organization and uh, at the end of the day i really believe that we were going to do right by the fans so i think that's the the, the you know primary reasons early in the relationship yeah. between you and michael did once you were already here year two year three yeah. year four of your employment did michael validate your initial beliefs yeah. in him was was 
was that Michael kind of different than the Michael you grew to do later? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I tell you what, I, he was, first of all, on the personal side, he was a ton of fun to be around. We had a lot of really good times, um, you know, um, you know, just just even day to day stuff, you know, was he had a, there was a lightness about him, you know, at that point in time and then enthusiasm. And, you know, one thing is in this, this think about how shocking it is to hear you say yeah, for yeah, the yeah. average person who has heard stories about Michael yeah. Bidwell and hears someone yeah. saying a lightness of yeah. fun times. Someone you wanted to be around. Sure. Yeah, no, he he truly was all those things, you know, and, and I know I characterize things differently in my resignation letter, which I'm sure you'll probably bring up because that's who you are, Doug. Uh, but the um, you know, the reality was is, is he was kind of fun to be around back in, in the day. And I think, uh, you know, he, myself uh, and, uh, you know, the folks that we started bringing to the organization were truly, you know, kind of enthused and excited about what potentially could lay ahead. So, yeah, he was he, he was he was a good guy to be around. That's the beginning of my conversation with Ron Miniger. Again, the former COO of the Arizona Cardinals. There's almost three hours of footage of this conversation. And coming up tomorrow and in the next few days, parts of the conversation will include that's him trying to show you, or in my opinion, the questions that I'm asking are leading you to understand his level of sobriety now. But one thing we haven't talked about as of yet is the disgruntled employee syndrome. There's going to be a lot of people that aren't going to believe the things Ron Miniger has to say because they're going to think he's a disgruntled employee who's just trying to get back at his former employer. So that's the next topic that we'll talk about a little bit tomorrow is whether or not he has a goal in mind or is this a hatchet job on Michael Bidwell. And I felt like it was fair to start off with questions about Ron Miniger because if he's going to be saying things that could dramatically affect an arbitration case that's currently going on, if he's going to be saying things about different reports that have already occurred in the media about the events of a Michael Bidwill-led culture that some people have labeled as toxic, then we should understand who's the person that's actually saying it. So that will go on further tomorrow. Now let's get into the good Cardinals news. Coming up next, Kyler Murray. Amazing. And we talked about it on Friday morning. The title of Friday morning's Doug Franz Unplugged was I Believe in Kyler Murray because I saw a maturity in him on Thursday I had never seen before. Were we right? He did something on Sunday I've never heard him do. And I think it's pretty big. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. A soundness to it. It's not just go out there and hope it works. Right? That wasn't the plan. The plan was go out there, if they move, I'm not going to go into the complete plan, but there was a plan. So in the Franz household, we have an air conditioning unit, an air scrubber, a reverse osmosis system, and a tankless water heater all purchased from Parker & Sons. Why? Well, number one, because we trust them. We got to know Parker and Sons about six months into living in Phoenix, and they've showed up on time, got it right the first time, and treated us great every single time. So why would we go anywhere else? The other thing I like is some of the products have even saved us money. The reverse osmosis system gives us bottle quality water from a tap, and then the tankless water heater, I can't even imagine how much money it has saved us. We never run out of hot water, even on holidays when people are coming in to visit. And it doesn't heat up water and then just let it sit in a tank. It only heats it up as we use it. So we only use the electricity when we need it. 
and our air scrubber takes allergens and bacteria out of the air, which has just been a dream for my wife and my youngest daughter, who have some pretty heavy allergies. Call 6022-REPAIR to learn about these products. That's 602, the number two, that R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub at Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. fans point blank you deserve a lot more attention than i'm gonna give you today and uh i would like to try to blame the u of a staff um i can't i mooch so i don't know if you can blame somebody that you mooch off of bite the hand that feeds you but they did not post jed fish after that big game so i don't have sound from jed fish today but wow 207 yards rushing to 77 continually trusting fafita which is good coaching and uh, a 34-31 win. That's fantastic. I told, I told you this, and I'm going to repeat it until they have a coach. I have been on the Jed Fish thing of him going to Texas A&M for a while. I believe Texas A&M is going to think about two coaches, Lane Kiffin and Jed Fish, as uh, they did fire Jimbo Fisher the, uh, lately or, or this weekend. If you don't know about the Jimbo Fisher firing, just so you understand how much money is in the SEC and how much money there is in oil, okay? <laughs> Jedfish's buyout at some point between right now and Martin Luther King Day, okay? It's basically within the next 60 days. So sometime around Martin Luther King Day, Jimbo Fisher is owed $19.2 million. $19 million in the next 60 days to do nothing. And you think, wow, that's a lot of, oh, we're not done. Then every year between 2024 and 2031, he is owed $7.2 million. (laughs) Do you think they take football a little seriously at Texas A&M? I mean, here is almost $70 million. Go away. Go away. Yeah. Tell me Jed Fish isn't interested in listening to somebody. If you're willing to pay a coach that much money to go away, how much are you willing to pay them to coach? I think you should be worried. You've got a fantastic coach right there. Let me get into uh, the Cardinals and their victory. Cardinals a winner, 25-23. They held Atlanta to 70 yards passing the story is kyler murray the story should be kyler murray i realize there's a not a there's not a good quarterback situation right now with atlanta heineke is not that great andy gets hurt ritter comes in but still an nfl team got 70 yards of passing that's incredible and the Cardinals get all the credit in the world with it. Still weird that Atlanta had uh, 50% on third downs. They went 7 of 14 on third downs when they obviously couldn't throw for any yards whatsoever. But to me, the biggest point of this game 
happened well after the game was over. Well after the game was over. The old station did something totally not my idea and totally I benefited from it greatly and had a fantastic time. And I'm still so glad the station thought of this. We did a show before drafting uh, Kyler. I believe it was before drafting Kyler Murray. I might be wrong. It was after Kyler's first year. And the show was called QB1. And it was a podcast, long-form interview of Wolf, me, Carson Palmer, and Kurt Warner, and that was it. And the four of us talking for an hour on the phone of just about ball and having almost Kurt and Carson in a quarterback conversation that Wolf and I were just listeners to. And listening to those two talk, I've always said this. They made you, they didn't tell you what it was like to be a QB1. They made you feel it. You could feel the pressure and the weight of what it meant to truly be the face of a franchise and how difficult it is to handle it. And then you could compare it, what they explained, to how bad Kyler was at doing it. I'm not talking about anything to do with on the field. I'm talking about the press conferences. I'm talking about the answers. I'm talking about the leadership. All the things that Carson and Kurt did very well, Kyler does not. And then I heard that Thursday press conference with Kyler Murray, and I thought he crushed it. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was outstanding in every way on Thursday. I thought he looked like a different person that had football ripped away from him, and he didn't want to ever have that happen again. And it was a different kind of maturity. And I bought into Kyler Murray on Thursday after watching that press conference. Then he did this after the game that really blew me away. That's what I, you know, is miscommunication, uh, something we haven't worked. Uh, cover two, I've, you know, the middle of the field's uh, vacated. It was, uh, you know, I felt like he could have sat down, but that's not something that we had, we had practiced or worked on. Um, so he was right to keep running, you know, so uh, my fault. It's my fault. He's talking about his interception in which he threw a pass behind Trey McBride. Um, sometimes lying is good, I'll just tell you. When you protect somebody in a locker room, that's leadership. Kyler Murray is lying right there. (laughs) It's not even remotely his fault. If you watch the end zone camera of the Kyler Murray interception, you'll see something very, very important. There is, I'm sorry I don't remember the number, there's a linebacker or a safety that is standing right there on the seam. And Trey McBride is about ready to run right into that guy. If you are throwing a pass across the middle and the guy's running across the middle, just imagine if I'm running across the middle, okay, I'm looking at you. You're the quarterback. I'm looking at you to throw me the ball. I have no idea, in a sense, what's directly in front of me because I'm looking over my right shoulder to look back at you. So if I'm running full speed, obviously don't throw it to me right here. You got to throw it to me out here so I can run to the ball, catch it while I'm on the run. A quarterback's job is to know what I'm about to run into. You do not lead me into a head crunching hit. You don't lead me into a big hit that could cause an interception, could cause me to have an injury. So I have to trust my quarterback that when that either A, I need to peek and see, uh-oh, I'm running into coverage. I need to what's called sit this down. Stop right here. 
or trust my quarterback that when he throws it behind me, I got to make sure I can slow down, get the brakes ready, and be able to stop on a dime and make that catch. All right? Kyler Murray put that pass exactly where it should be because of the defense. He made the right read. Trey McBride did not. Interception. Anybody who watches football knows that was not Kyler Murray's fault. Yet, to a person that's learning the game, might not know the game, or might not have time to check it. What if you're a fan of another team and you don't have time to check it? You don't know that it's Trey McBride's fault. All you know is the sound clip that uh, Kyler Murray said it's his fault. You're actually going to go, yeah, Kyler Murray came back through a bad pick, threw way behind a guy, bad pick. And then that's the end of the conversation because you're not a Cardinals fan. You don't care. You're just taking Kyler Murray for his word. He's allowing people to blame him for something that wasn't his fault. Everyone in that locker room respects that greatly, and I've never heard Kyler do that. He, he wore it, and that wasn't his fault. That's another sign of positive growth of Kyler Murray. Um, this was a good question. He was asked about his emotions going into the game, and he says, hey, I kept everything in check until sometime around Saturday. You know, throughout the week, I tried to just stay calm, cool, you know, collected. As it got closer today, you know, um, wake up early, go home, have a lot of time at the house before, you know, driving to the stadium. That, you know, the shit in your chest starts to build up. And, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to calm it down because, you know, obviously we got to play a game, can't be too amped up. Uh, but it was kind of inevitable. Um, but I thought I did a good job. I thought I did a good job of, you know, not really letting the emotions and everything get to me uh, throughout this week. Obviously, it being a big week. But at the end of the day, man, just trying to come out here and get a win. That's, that's, that was the mindset. Love that. Allowed himself to be human. Admitted it happened. The uh, in years past, Kyler would have been like, no, it's all, it's all you know, it's all about winning. I don't, you know, I don't get emotional. I don't get this. You know, he he almost he almost was this fake tough guy acting like he was in control of of things that he wasn't in control of. And now he's saying, you know, I worked on it during the week, but boy, when I was sitting at home, getting closer and closer to this, it was it was welling up. It was welling up. That crap in your stomach, he said. Uh, the last one from Kyler Murray is just let's talk about the the last drive, the legendary run, the McBride pass, the uh, the touchdown or the, the non touchdown, the close to touchdown with Jonathan, um, not Jonathan, uh, James Conner, and then the field goal. Yeah, there's no like, of course it sets up like this, you know, for for us to go back down and score, and um, you know at that point like you gotta make your mind up, you know, there's a uh, no quit, no quit, no quit in that group, um, and I think we showed that tonight. What an end. Now, number one, let's stare at the defense, okay? You, nobody wants to talk about it, but defense, you had a chance to finish this thing off, and you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You allowed a three-minute drive to eat up eight plays and 74 yards to go down and be able to get a, a touchdown, no two-point conversion, but to be able to go down and get a touchdown. So the defense let the Cardinals down. And yet, here comes Kyler Murray, able to lead an 11-play drive in two and a half minutes. Like, I don't know about you, when I did my research to get ready for today's show, I don't know, did you do your research for your show today? (laughs) I just realized I walked into that. I didn't realize that last drive was 11 plays until I looked it up. And that was shocking. 
Then there's the pass to Trey McBride for 33 yards in which McBride comes back for it, which is uh, a pretty crazy play. And then, of course, earlier in the game, the Kyler Murray run, talking about that, which was an incredible first down. And then the sacrifice of James Conner when he could have scored a touchdown that helps the stats and wasn't interested took a need to be able to run out the clock to make it so Atlanta could not win the game. Uh, that stuff makes me nervous. It does. I totally agree with what the Cardinals did in a tie game. I don't like it when you're losing. I don't like to trust a kicker when you're losing. But by scoring, you would have not created a two-possession game and you would have given them back the ball. And in that sense, that scares most people. And when you've got a kicker as good as Prater, you set yourself up to kick. And they did that highly successful. But another example was was by having Connor take that knee and not score a touchdown when he easily could have gotten in. That was just one more example of how good James Connor was in this game. Jonathan Gannon. Unreal. I mean, some of those runs that he popped, you know, even the one to start the two minute there, I thought that was a nine or 10 or I don't know, 11 yard run um, to play the, the snaps that he played. I think he was in the range that we wanted him coming, not playing for a while. I mean, the guy's a captain for a reason. He's I mean, he's so positive and, you know, he's he's great with the offense when they come off, you know, and, um, you know, he's a premier player. Talking about that run he had right before the two-minute warning, that was the nine-yard run. Then Murray threw an incomplete pass, an incomplete pass, so it's third and ten. And it's just so boring to read this on the official play-by-play for Murray's amazing scramble. This is the official play-by-play. Murray scrambles right end to Atlanta 45 for 13 yards. (laughs) That's that's called the official play-by-play because what's the end result? 13-yard gain on the right side of the field. Yeah. That was, that's one of those plays where you know Kyler is fully back and being able to lead to victories. So that's uh, James Connors' help. One of the major negatives of this game was the penalties. Four penalties for Atlanta for only 43 yards, 11 penalties for 112 yards for the Cardinals. This is still a major problem in the Jonathan Gannon era, and he doesn't seem to have a handle on it. And, uh, and Bobby Mack, friend of the program, Bob McManaman, Arizona Republic, asked him about it. I mean, the two, the two penalties on defense that led to 14 points, you're off there. A really good point, Bob. We got to play penalty free. They were calling it a little bit tighter. You know, the, you know, you know, the, the one at the end there, you know, bang, bang play. But got to continue to emphasize that. And you got to adjust as the game goes how they're calling it. Um, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. I like how he said you have to adjust to the way they're calling it. And the reason why I say that is, I will always tell you, I do not blame officials for winning and losing. Your job is to win the game. Do your job, okay? But that doesn't mean we can't look at whether or not the officials did a good job that game. I thought the officiating in yesterday's Cardinals game was below high school standards. And no, high school refs, I'm not ripping you. Thank God you exist. Without you, we don't have sports. And the abuse you take is unfair. So I'm praising you. I'm just saying that game at State Farm Stadium on Sunday did not rise to the level I would expect from a high school crew. 
let alone a group of professional NFL referees. I thought that game was horribly officiated. And it's, you, I mean, you can't tell me a league cares about its officiating and really cares about its product if you're going to run that same group of officials out next week for the same dollar figure. I will say this again. I've said it about the baseball season all throughout the year. I'll say it now in football. I don't understand why we expect 16-year-olds to be strong enough and tough enough to be able to look at a newspaper, look at a website, look at a ranking system that says where their team ranks. We expect 18-year-olds to be able to look at recruiting magazines and see where they rank. But it's unfair to take full-fledged 30, 40, 50-year-old adults and rank them for their abilities to do their job publicly and then know about the ramifications when they fail. Why shouldn't we as a fan base know that officiating crew yesterday was reprimanded? That officiating crew received poor grades. Why shouldn't we be in on that? Why shouldn't we get to know that? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of that level of accountability? That was a horribly officiated game. And if the NFL doesn't do anything about it, it shows they're complicit. They don't care. And don't say doing something about it is issuing a private bad grade. That's not doing anything about it. That's not doing anything about it at all. Okay? Because obviously nothing happens. Um, Last one on here from JG. I have to tell you when I think things are a bad idea, even when they work. Because it's really a lack of accountability on my part, a lack of credibility on my part, and just plain cowardice every time something goes wrong for me to say if I liked it or didn't like it, and, and you know, always not like it. And yet when something works, say, oh yeah, I love that. I hate the Clayton Tune tush push. I don't like that. Now here's why. And let me give you both sides of the argument. Some people are going to love that play because you're protecting Kyler Murray from getting hurt and you're running a play that's been proven successful by the Philadelphia Eagles and you have a head coach who comes from the Eagles system who believes in the play and they run it. I get all that. But I don't like when you put in a backup quarterback, the cadence is different. It's harder for guys to be able to judge how he's going to take the snap versus how it's going to happen with Kyler. There was an advantage that Clayton Toon was just the quarterback last week. Yes, that is true. But there's also a guy that comes in cold. It's easy to fumble that snap. Did he fumble the snap? In a sense, yes, but he regathered it. How would you have felt about it if he didn't regather it? So through the course of the year, if there's a delay of game, if there's a fumble, if there's a bad turnover, I'm not going to jump up and down and say, see, I told you so, because I'm not rooting for you to be miserable. But I just think the chances of a delay of game or a turnover raise exponentially when you put in the backup quarterback in that situation. So I'm actually agreeing that there's no reason to do a Kyler Murray tush push because he could get hurt. I'm saying because of his size, I would take advantage of all the things Kyler Murray can do inside the two-yard line other than the tush push because I think the risk of penalty or turnover is greater than the uh, reward of scoring. Now, you might say, well, wait, how's that great? No, I think the risk is that huge. I was almost right, but I'm wrong.
I'm, I'm coming to you saying I'm wrong, but I want to admit I don't like that play. Here's what I do like about it. Kyler Murray made a comment about it in the press conference, but didn't flip out, and it sounded like he was joking and having some fun about it, that, that Clayton Toon took his touchdown, but he was having fun with it. That, to me, is another sign of, if I, if I read that right, another sign of Kyler Murray's leadership to be able to do that. Here is uh, Jonathan Gannon talking about the Clayton Toon package. Yeah, it's just we like to play type with Clayton in there. You know, he'll continue to have some certain plays up each week, and uh, he did a good job executing it. That's not easy to do, coming in a game cold and getting a snap and scoring. So um, he had a great week of practice. Um, <laughs> A really good week of practice. Came back the right way after getting, you know, beat up a little bit. Um, and that's how coaches and players need to respond when you get beat up a little bit. It shows your true character. If they do this the rest of the year and it works every time, massive recantation for me. I'm just dead wrong and I got to eat it. And I want to eat it. Okay. Not that I'm rooting for him to fumble. It's just, I don't want to eat it. I want to wake up every morning, and, I, and for your sake, I want to be right because of how hard you work. You're going to work, and you have a limited time to get information from me, and I want to be able to give you that information when I give you opinions. I want them to be based on fact, and I want those facts to come out in the end. And when I'm wrong, I've let you down. So we'll see what happens. I'm not rooting for it, but... Well, uh, I, 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 st- I don't like it. <laughs> I just want to be clear. Uh, last thing for the Cardinals, a lot of positives today, a lot of positives, and hopefully I covered those positives for you to get excited about. I mean, I, you might think this is nothing. We'll see going on in the future. It is one game calm down. That, there's, there's, a, there's a fact for that, that it's one game calm down. But there's nothing more important in the 2023 season than finding out whether or not Kyler Murray is the future quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals. He's clearly the current quarterback. He's clearly the quarterback of the present. Is he the quarterback of the future? In game one, the answer to that is a resounding yes. It changes everything if you have the number two, number three pick in the draft, the number 15 pick in the draft, and you don't need a quarterback for either one in a draft some people will call quarterback heavy. The amount of power you have with two first-round picks when you have a quarterback is huge. This is a big deal for the Arizona Cardinals. I realize you might want to be celebrating the win and not thinking of the April draft, but that's what this is all about. It's all about 24 and 25. None of this matters in 23. It's not a good football team. But what can they become if they don't have to waste time developing a quarterback? That's not something I know the answer to, but if Monty Ford is good at the draft and it seemed like he was in his first draft, now have a whole year of preparation, I think it's okay to extrapolate the positives of one day in time yesterday and spread them out over the next nine months and say it's a, it's a good day to feel good as a Cardinals fan for the future. Here is one thing that I'm wondering if it could derail things. This clearly shows, this story, if you haven't heard it, shows that we've got a bad negative here, too. And Jonathan Gannon better get on top of it extremely quickly. If you remember, Jonathan Gannon said a series of things at his original press conference. 
in which the Philadelphia media media just chewed up and spit back out. Now, granted, it's Philadelphia, and they're very good at that, but brought up a whole bunch of points that they claimed were flat-out lies from Jonathan Gannon. And I actually, I'm not being biased because I'm not a Cardinals fan, I actually think, listen, they're just hyperbole or mistaken statements from Jonathan Gannon, not a big deal. But the Philadelphia media just thought it was flat-out lies. That's what they thought, okay? Just so you know. Now we have this situation. If you haven't seen what Joshua Dobbs is doing, Dobbs yesterday went for 23 for 34 for 268 yards, had a touchdown, no picks, in the 27-19 victory by the Vikings over the Saints. He also not only threw a touchdown pass, rushed for a touchdown with eight carries and 44 yards. For him to be 2-0 and with only about two padded practices is phenomenal. Well, before his game this week against the Saints, but after his game last week, he sat down on a podcast called the Torchbearers Podcast and talked about his week with the Arizona Cardinals. So just as a reminder for his week, loses a game in which he looks bad. Jonathan Gannon is asked if there's a thought of playing starting Clayton 2 next week. Jonathan Gannon says no, that Josh Dobbs is our quarterback going forward. Okay. Then the next day, we find out that at the Monday morning press conference, Clayton Toon is now the starter. And we're specifically told the reason why is because after I watched the film and evaluated the film. So it's a film decision. So anybody that thinks it had to do with the trade to the Vikings, one of two things happened. Okay? Either you're right and Gannon's a liar again, or you're wrong. They really benched a guy and then turned around and traded him a little bit later that afternoon. I don't know which story is correct, but one of those two stories is correct. So with that as the backdrop of Dobbs is my starter, Dobbs is my backup, Dobbs is gone, we find out there's more to those 48 hours from Joshua Dobbs. So I'm in Arizona last Sunday. We play Baltimore, right? Game ends. We lose by seven, 31-24. We're in the locker room. JG gets off his podium. He does media before I do. And he says, I'm starting for the Cardinals in Cleveland the next week. Monday, and then we played Sunday, played Baltimore. So I go to the facility on Monday, and JG, the head coach in Arizona, calls me to his office. And he says, hey, um, we're going to start Clayton Toon in Cleveland. and this is leading up to Kyler's return. So I went home, talked to my agent. I'm uh, just talking about the situation. Uh, went to sleep. Woke up Tuesday morning with a text from my agent saying, "Hey, you could be traded today because it's the trade deadline." <laughs> and, and, and listen to this: When I had my meeting with uh, JG in Arizona, he looked at me in the face. And he said, "You're not getting traded. You're not being released. You're going to be here in Arizona." I was like, "Okay, cool." And so then I woke up to that text saying, all right, the trade deadline's in four hours. You could be traded. You could go to Minnesota or go back to Cleveland. I was like, this, today, today's about to be nuts. I eat breakfast. I chill. He calls me back at 11. He says, you're getting traded to Minnesota. <laughs> so I said, okay. 
So then like all the emotions of like the last 36 hours, whatever was told to you, something different has happened. <laughs> I, I like the way Jonathan Gannon handles things. When I walked out of the original press conference when the Arizona Cardinals still allowed me to attend things, I, I like Jonathan Gannon. Um, I don't know how you don't get concerned right now when you look at the way the Eagles media reacted to his original press conference. And now you have this situation, which I told you at the time is screwy. I thought it was fishy way back then of, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How did you go from starter to bench to traded when the coach specifically said, you're starting, nope, I've watched the film, you're now benched, told the player you're not getting traded, and then they traded the player? Maybe he's just a rookie head coach, thinks he's in control, thinks he knows what's about to happen, and he realizes, boy, I was stupid to do that. I hope the local media has the courage in the Monday press conference to talk to Jonathan Gannon about this true situation with Joshua Dobbs. I think we're owed that as a fan base, especially people like if you're like me, that you really want to believe in Jonathan Gannon because I really want to like him, but not if he's full of crap. There's your Cardinals coverage for the day. So we've already talked Cardinals. We've already talked Phoenix Rising today. We haven't talked ASU. We talked a little bit of U of A. We haven't talked ASU. We haven't talked Suns. Haven't talked Coyotes. So I still got a lot to get to. I can't thank you enough for watching Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Coming up next, it's truly one of the greatest coaching jobs I've ever seen. 30 years in the media, I've never seen somebody do what Kenny Dillingham did. Congratulations, ASU, on that hire. Can you imagine how great this football program is going to be when they actually have an athletic director, too? That's next on Doug Franz Unplugged. This is WTSMTV.com. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old, and I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. I I don't think the UCLA job is a plum job. I don't. I don't think they spend enough money to truly compete and I don't think they're the premier job even in their own city. And historically the Big Ten has always been stronger than the Pac-12. I don't necessarily believe that this year. I think the Pac-12 is actually stronger than the Big Ten this year. But historically the Big Ten has been much stronger than the Pac-10, Pac-12. But if if that trend continues, UCLA is really going to struggle and some of the meatier heavyweights of the Pac-12 are the ones going with UCLA, USC, UW, and Oregon. So I don't think the UCLA job is a plum job. Some people will disagree because the amount of recruits that you can get out of Southern California, Northern California, 
and Maricopa County that just with those three areas, you can build yourself one heck of a football team. So whenever you can fall out of your front yard and find a recruit, that's usually considered a gold area. Having said that, if UCLA, with a loss like this to ASU, when your coach was so clearly embarrassed, how how do you accept that? Listen, every game is in a vacuum, okay? Every game is in a vacuum. Keep that in mind. If, a, if Team A beats Team B and Team B beats Team C, don't just all of a sudden assume Team A is beating Team C because they're, they're 18-year-old kids. Different things happen all of the time that change things up. But having said that, all right, again, let me reiterate, different games, different kids, different times. When Fresno State beat somebody 29 to nothing, when Utah beat somebody 55 to 3, how do you score seven points if you have an offensive guru at head coach? This segment's about ASU, but I got to start off with that's the kind of loss where if you're UCLA, you start looking a little squirrely at Chip Kelly. And you start saying, now, wait a minute, why are we where we are right now? UCLA was not expected to compete for a national championship or anything, but UCLA was expected to be around a top 15 team this year. That's not that crazy to have assumed they could have done that. And they didn't come anywhere close to those expectations. And now they've lost two in a row to the Arizona schools and scored a total of 17 points. And then to come to find out how Kenny Dillingham did it with this swinging gate offense. We'll just go straight in order, uh, Jeff. We are production one, two, three. Somewhere, I think Tuesday, or Tuesday actually, it was Tuesday. We practiced Tuesday and then Tuesday, I uh, just talked, I watched those fire-breathing dragons on the D-line again, and I said, holy cow. I mean, there's a reason they're number one in the country in sacks, number one in the country in almost TFLs, or not sacks, but pressures in the quarterback. And it's like, man, do we really want to play 70 snaps where these guys just try to kill our quarterback? And the answer was no, we did not. Okay. So you've made the decision Trenton Borgay is not healthy enough and still kind of struggling just talent-wise against a team as good as UCLA and you've got a banged up offensive line. So instead of throwing in the cards and say, well, here comes another Utah game, they research how to win this game. Not impossible, but it's just numbers. We have an answer for different, you know, if you put your people here, we're doing this, put your people here, we're doing this, put your people here, we're doing this. So we do have like, it's, it's sound. Like, it looks goofy and unique and different, but we didn't just go out there and run something that wasn't sound. It's just different. And you gotta be, you can't be scared to be different. And if you're scared to be different, and I told, I thought I told somebody the other day, or it may have been our media the other day after practice, a lot of people may not like what I do. It may be goofy, but I could really give a crap. Because I'm trying to put our players in the best position to win based off where we are as a football team right now. And really in the first half, I mean, we got, essentially got a touchdown call back and then we do an interception in the, inside the, the 20. I mean, we should have had another 13 points, 10 points on the board in the football game versus a really, really good defense. 
Scadaboo throwing like crazy. They pulled plays off of YouTube for the old swinging gate offense that was popular from the 30s to the 50s and still had remnants in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Can I... I'm struggling here today because I don't want to sound like a gushing teenager over Taylor Swift or something. But the magnitude of what this means as how good this guy is as a coach is crazy. You're able to correctly, I can't tell you how many head coaches are terrible personnel men. You're able to correctly judge how overmatched you are You're able to find an offense that should work if run correctly against that team, install that offense in three to four days of practice, coach it well enough so it can be run and executed, and then on the road, execute that offense. And have your team believe in you. The players believe in you enough. After you just got a, what was it, 55-3, to I think, last week? Whatever that beatdown was against Utah? You're able to do that? Incredible, Kenny Dillingham. Credit to where we're going as a program. That our players, they didn't waver when we have weird ideas. They said, okay, if you believe this is best, we're going to do it. And that's what I'm most proud of. They went out there, they executed, they worked hard on defense. We battled, we competed, we won the moments. We responded to an ass whooping we got, butt whooping, sorry. I don't know if that's a bad word. Uh, the other day, and we responded. And that's what culture is, is response, response, response. And we did that today. Oh, that, that's just, that's incredible. What he also did is, to me, he showed up coaches across America who act like their adversity is the hardest thing any human being's ever been through for him to do what he did to UCLA. Now, I think it woke up Oregon. I bet Oregon was going to come in here next weekend. They're coming to Tempe and probably had the feeling, wow, this team stinks. We're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And after you see that, you're now thinking anything can happen and you will have Oregon's attention. And that's not what you want. You know, I would rather not have Oregon's attention. So this could be kind of a strange event, but it's a big deal. It's a it's a huge game to try to continue to build the culture. Not a huge game in the concept of life, because let's face it, you know, a, what's ASU? Is that their third win? Yeah, uh, three wins this year. So it's not like I'm selling you anything sitting there at uh, at three and seven. Uh, but speaking of rebounding character, the theme that was set up by the Rising, I don't normally talk uh, a ton of Coyotes, but I was really impressed with the Coyotes this weekend. So if you could give me Turini uh, 1 and 2, or Turini actually, Turini 1 and 2, Jeff, I'll start with number 1. If you didn't see the Coyotes game, uh, I believe it was Friday, I might be wrong, and it was Saturday, I think it was Friday against Nashville. They're down 2 nothing, and I think they were down 3-2, maybe even 4-2. They beat Nashville 7-5 to on the road. And Coach was asked, is this a character win? Under the word character keeps coming up. Is yeah. that one of those character wins? Yeah, it is. You know, down, you're on the road, down 2 nothing, down 4-2. Um, not uh, totally satisfied about the way we played, but the character, the, 
the atmosphere on the bench, the leadership. Uh, Give us a chance to come back. That doesn't mean you will, but uh, the way we we played and uh, some guys had individual night offensively, but in all, I think we, uh, we, we showed character tonight. I care about that because that goes to attitude, and it's a lesson I think all of us can get better at. What is your attitude going into work today? What is your attitude? Or if you're already at work, what is your attitude about it? He admitted Our leadership and our character on the bench, that doesn't mean we're going to come back. But I guarantee you, you won't if you give up when you're down 2 nothing, 4-2. That's a guarantee. So how are you going to respond? So if you get punched in the face in the first hour at work today, and I don't mean that literally. If you really do, okay, it's going to be a tough day. (laughs) But figuratively, if something doesn't go your way early on, does it wreck your week? Does it wreck your day? I I tell you, this was a, one of my biggest flaws early on in the old show. And for a long time in my career, I could not get over mistakes or bad things that happened. Whether they were mistakes by somebody else or mistakes by myself. Because I have such a high expectation of trying to be great that then I was assured of failure to follow failure. If I failed at something then I guarantee you I would fail again because I would still be thinking about the screw-up and not about the now. Focus on your now today. You screw up, learn from it, focus on the now, let's go. Get over it. But I love that. Down 2 nothing, down 4-2. Why does that mean you can't win 7-5? to five? It doesn't mean that, and that's what the Coyotes did. Last one from uh, Coach Turney. Tur- uh, this one, the, the accent gets a little thick, I admit. So it might be a little difficult, but he's talking about the simple play of getting the puck out of the defensive zone, making the right read and the right play to just get it out of the zone. There's a big argument that used to happen on the old show a lot where Wolf would say this line, you're picking scabs on a severed arm, where he would say something like, There's all of these huge problems and you care about a runner that got thrown out um, or or a play where an outfielder threw it to the wrong base in the third inning of a game in April. And you're fired up about that while we've got this problem. And my point of view was always there's rarely ever a big problem. There's almost always little problems where people in any industry are not held accountable. So then when they're not held accountable, it can, they continue to do that screw up. Other people stop believing in the culture because they think the culture is now unfair because there's different levels of accountability. And new people that come in think there's no accountability. And older people don't feel backed up, so they stop leading. All of that because one throw to the wrong base, unless you deal with it now. That's my belief in accountability. Well, listen to Andre talk about problems being amplified simply because you don't get the puck out correctly. Some teams forecheck us by the time we take to our to make our decision, and then now it's because it it amplified ten things by ten. More time in our zone, so suddenly, what you talk about that stick defensively, that that positioning defensively, that face off you lost, that block shot you didn't do, but all of that is because you didn't put the puck out at the right time, 
and you let the opponent set their forecheck, their ozone time and all of it, and you did not give you, yourself a chance to do the same, to get on the forecheck, to get in with some possession, or to, to be the aggressor on, on, the, on, the, on your opponent. So that, that part of our game is our, uh, this is a big thing for us. We need to fix that. And in hockey, it gets magnified because then you send out your best line and all they're doing is playing defense the whole time. So you're not able to set your forecheck. You're not able to be attacking and aggressive. And pressure leads usually leads to mistakes. Well, it happens in reverse. You're not getting the puck out. Now you might give in to pressure, and that can lead to mistakes. So I, I love that from uh, from Andre Turney, and it's a five-game road trip, and you started off with a win. So that's always nice. Gary Bettman, why is that a divisional game? Phoenix. Nashville, please explain that. Uh, coming up at eight o'clock, it's the main event. Steve McCollum has a, an entire array of things today that he can focus on, whether it's Kyler, whether it's Rising, whether it's Suns fourth quarters, U of A, ASU. There's everything that's there. I assume, as a season ticket holder, you were there live for Kyler's performance. Uh, of course, man. Uh, it was excitement in the air. Crowd was engaged, and um, you know, it was uh, it was good to have the. Car- Cardinals back again. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Do you do you agree with leaving it up to a kicker, or would you have liked no. to have seen Connor score? Brilliant move, one hundred percent brilliance by JG uh, James Connor, Kyler Murray. Uh, my favorite part though is uh, my negative side comes out because he hit two long fifty yarders, yeah. and I was like, he's going to shank this twelve yarder. <laughs> Watch, it's, he's going to kick it right into the back of his center, <laughs> long snapper, or whatever. No, that was the way to play it. It was absolutely brilliantly done, and it shows. Uh, that this team with a quarterback that can play in the NFL as a starter, that this team, uh, you made a comment earlier, this team is bad. Let me let me be clear on this. This team has a lot of talent. Now, depth is a problem. And Kyler Murray showed yesterday, they would have won two, three more games if Kyler Murray started this season. I think that's fair. And uh, they're going to win. Look, for, for you, I'm just going to say, for you jackasses that get on my feed and go, oh, the Cardinals have ruined it. Now they're not going to have the top pick. Shut up. <laughs> You're not a fan if you want the Cardinals to take to get draft picks. Get out of here. They have a ton of draft picks, right? This how would be that, different how well did that work for Sarver and McDonough in right? the, tanking, right? the tanking game? It's just, oh, my God, enjoy yourself for once. And it's just that Kyler Murray hate, which, he look, he's overcoming, man, right? He won the press conference Thursday. Yes, he did. Regardless how well he played on Sunday, his press conference after was was brilliant. I will say this on that interception. Uh, in the stadium, I watched him after he threw it in. He went and made the tackle, and he lit into McBride instantly. And at first I was like, oh, there's the Kyler. Everybody's going to flip out about but then he was like, okay. And then they just jogged off the field yes, together. Yes, yes. Yeah. And here's the thing, though. I'm so glad you brought one thing up that I had totally forgotten to talk about today. Kyler, I appreciate the will to win. <laughs> Please, God, let that be your last tackle of the year. Yes. Do not do that. I will say this, uh, man, that uh, beautiful scrambles, but you're holding your breath, man. Oh, yeah. Especially that last one where he rolled out and went back to the right side because that's how he – Blew out his AC yeah. on. You're just like, yeah. oh, 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's it like to – the guy's name is Andy, if you're wondering. I won't give his last name because that would – I don't want anybody to know how to get a hold of him. But uh, Andy's in charge of the field. Yes. And with it being a non-contact knee injury the last time, I'm not that it's his fault, but right. I'll just say it. If you're the grounds crew dude with all of the beef that the Cardinals field has taken over the last couple of years, how are you not scared to death on some of those rollouts? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that, uh, right? But look, I mean, I forgot, and this is going to sound funny, because watching on TV is one thing. I forgot what it's like to watch a starting NFL quarterback, a quality starting NFL quarterback, play the game. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And look, Minnesota, be happy Josh Dobbs is 2-0 and he's doing what he's doing. But he is not. He is a step down from Kirk Cousins. I'm sure you can see it in person. Uh, and it was just amazing what Kyler Murray – not just the scrambling, not just the throwing it into the tight windows. Yeah, he missed the guy. That one touchdown pass to Hollywood was off. That's going to come with timing. But the when the pressure's coming, just the calmness that he has in there was just amazing to see. Pocket with Cloud. He's just like, do 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 And either run or throw it. And it was just like – God, you forget how good quarterbacks look in this league when you watch them play. I thought Dobbs struggled to keep his eyes downfield yes. when he scrambled. So it became, okay, my eyes are downfield. I'm looking up. I have to scramble. Yeah. Boom, it's a run. While Kyler did a good job of, I scramble, I take another look. Yes. Relax, take another look. Do I have something? And then if I don't, okay, now I'm going to go. It always cracks me up when a defender, quarterback's 10 yards down the field and they <laughs> cannot throw the ball. And they fake it and the defender's all, oh, oh, oh. And it's like, he can't throw it. If he throws it, it's a penalty. Just Although I agree with him. you, I got to be careful because <laughs> I think I would buy that too. No, I know. I, no, I, but I totally it, believe I it, think I'm dumb enough oh, to go oh, and flinch yeah. for just a Everybody second. would, but it just cracks me up when that happens because it's just like, what, what are you doing? You can't. <laughs> throw it but what's even funnier is i wonder if the day will come where a running back tries it yeah. i mean if quarterbacks could do it yeah it's exactly. still just a quick reaction so why not throw it? at least gadaboo could get away with yeah. it he's throwing enough passes I, now that they could do that yeah i think the other thing is man james connor right i mean he didn't have the best of games yesterday the falcons look the falcons flooded the box and wanted to stop the run yesterday and make kyler beat him and he did uh, and uh you know it but james connor man watching him hit those holes it's it's fantastic to see and this team with Trey McBride uh, you know Trey McBride's driving down the field and they're throwing at McBride McBride and I'm like there's other receivers on the field and then he throws that up over to 84 tight end yeah and uh, he drops it and I was like only throw it to McBride <laughs> oh that was fun are you uh it was fun it was a fun game it was, the, the, I'm telling you man the crowd was different yesterday again than it has been earlier this season it was exciting man well to your original point of your frustration with fans that want to take that you have an advantage this week because if the Cardinals win, they help their draft position. That doesn't happen very often. Why in the world are the Texans an above 500 team? Uh, because C.J. Stroud is unstoppable right now. And how good does Dave Tepper feel about getting involved in the draft process as an owner? Uh, Dave Tepper uh, is one of those billionaires that uh, doesn't care. Uh, he, and he's just going to make his horrible... How Look, no matter what... You're driving into work today and let's say your boss hates you or you don't like going to work or whatever or you're not performing to your standards or whatever just remember guys like Dave Tepper are billionaires which means there's a chance for you too no matter how bad you suck there's a chance for you to get there also I 
I liked C.J. Stroud better at draft time, but I did not stand on the table. So it's not like one of those where you didn't you, see this coming. You know, like everybody can say, oh, I, this is my guy. Yeah. You know, C.J. Stroud was not my guy. I liked him as the best quarterback in the draft, but not no way did I see this. So I, I'm not right. Yeah. But my biggest beef was always the people because this is you know how the media works. This had to be a leak. Everybody kept talking about, here are all the quarterbacks Frank Reich has oh. worked with. And all of them fit the mode of a C.J. Stroud. 100%. And yet, he's not the number one pick. So, for some well, reason, if you want Frank Reich as the coach, why wouldn't you have chosen a quarterback that fits? Or why wouldn't you have chosen a different coach? It, it seems worse, like Tepper is clueless on it's that. It's worse than that. They met with C.J. Stroud, and it was a hot mic where they said, hey, we'll, we'll get you some restaurants when you're, when you're in, uh, you know, when you're in, when you're in Charlotte. <laughs> like the staff like Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, – no, it uh, – look, uh, owners, you know, especially when you get to that level. We talk a lot about Michael Bidwell, second generation. Yep, well, yep. Uh, look, a lot of times you get to that level, and there's no, no – no, no men around those people, and they just make horrible decisions. And it's their, and they don't care because it's their money, and they don't, they could care less. They, yeah, well, I don't maybe, care. What am I going to do? Sell the team and make a couple billion? Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> like that's true. I'm still, I'm still thrilled that we got rid of Robert Sarver. That was that's yeah. something I didn't think. Would happen. Hey, really quick, uh, my last words to you are: is, uh, man, gimmicky offenses are the worst because it means your team sucks and you have no talent. But ASU won, so good. Yeah, I okay. <laughs> got it done. That's our job. Not bad this week. Not bad. I'm, I'm I'm feeling pretty good. I really wanted five and one, and I'm mad about one hockey game. I just blew a football loss, but I'm mad about one hockey game from this week. So here's how I did. I went four and two during the weekend. I told you I liked the Sabres on the money line against the Wild. Barely got that one. Buffalo won three to two. But yes, I did get it, and that's what matters. Then I I, I thought this was hilarious that this was even a possibility. It is San Jose, an awful team on the back end of a back-to-back against Vegas. The line was awful. It was a two and a half puck line. I still said San Jose will cover it. It was a six and a half total. I said, I don't care. It's so bad that San Jose will cover that. San Jose won five to nothing. So I split the two bets in which I get Vegas covering the two and a half. I don't get them getting over six and a half goals. I thought that maybe San Jose would chip in a little bit. I even said on Friday, I like five to two. I got the five. San Jose just refused to join them, and I thought that was stupid of San Jose. So I'm a, I'm a little bitter about that. I go with, uh, so I went two and one on Friday. And then my Saturday and Sunday picks, I like Michigan on the money line uh, against uh, Penn State. I wish I would have taken um, 
Michigan to cover the spread. I didn't quite want to go there, and that was that was clearly a mistake. Would have had better juice. Michigan won that 24 to 15. I just had two reasons. I felt like Michigan was going to be fired up like nobody's business because you know full well they would have been told that the world's out to get us and we're angry and you've got a chance to show everybody that uh, this is unfair. And the other thing is simply Penn State always chokes. I mean, I don't know. Like, James Franklin is not a bad head coach. He's just average. And if you're Penn State with that fan base and that opportunity to recruit, I think you should be doing better than just average. And I think that that's that's all they are. It's just average. So, uh, I got that one right. I said take the Cardinals plus the two. I don't know why I wanted the points. I, I felt like they were going to win. I picked them to win. But then I said, ah, but if I'm if you're going to give me points, I'm going to take it. Why did I take the points? Would have had positive juice, one more money yesterday, but I got that right. And then there's one, every now and then you're just going to get embarrassed on something. I got totally embarrassed on this pick. I said the Bengals would cover the six and a half against Houston because the game was in Cincinnati. Uh, The Bengals did not cover because they didn't win. Speaking of what uh, Steve McCollum just said, C.J. Stroud was legendary in that game and continues to be phenomenal. The Texans win 30-27, and that's who the Cardinals have to deal with this weekend is C.J. Stroud. So now, games for today, um, I admit I, I am not totally... I hate to admit this to you. I forgot about versus Vegas I, uh, last night. When I, I usually do it at night, and when I went to bed at about 1.30 this morning, I hadn't done it. So I want to look for back-to-backs. New York's on the back end of a back-to-back at Boston, so I probably like that. Washington's on the back end of a back-to-back at Toronto. Oh, that one's, that one's a good one. Chicago's on the back end of a back-to-back at Milwaukee. But that's not a long trip. That's a that's a, basically a bus ride up to Milwaukee. So I don't really care about that one that much. And Cleveland is at Sacramento, and neither of them played yesterday. So without a doubt, let me look at the lines. But I can tell you, we're going to go Knicks, and we're going to uh, we're going to go Boston, and we're going to go Toronto in the NBA. The lines for the Knicks are Celtics minus nine. I love that. No problem with that. Boston minus nine. And then, I'm sorry that I'm so unprepared and I'm doing this on air. Hopefully you forgive me. And Washington um, is on the road at Toronto after being at Brooklyn. And that game is nine and a half in favor of Toronto. I still like it. I'll take Toronto minus the nine. Especially back-to-backs when you got to go through customs. Uh, Granted, when you're flying out of... JFK or Newark. I, I don't know where Washington flew out of when they were in Brooklyn, but they, they've got customs down pretty quick. I, I get that, but still, that's that's a tough trip. And then Monday Night Football tonight. Do I like? Let me see if I like the line on Monday Night Football with the Bills. Bills minus seven at home. Denver playing better football. Yeah, I, I like. Buffalo's got to get their head out of their butt at some point. And Denver's usually the game that you can get yourself right. So I got Celtics, Raptors, and Bills all covering for uh, versus Vegas today. And uh, I think all three teams, yeah, all three teams are at home too. So a bunch of home favorites 
Kind of taking a cheese ball way out when you take home favorites, though, I admit it. Not really sticking my neck out very far. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com is the website to become a Whirlwind Plus member. Unplugged at Whirlwind.com. Please go there. Check it out. It's um, Oh, thank you, Jeff Weir Production. It's up on the screen right now if you're watching live on WTSMTV.com. So, so it's such amazing savings. At $299 for the year, you could easily end up saving on golf enough that it takes only two rounds, probably three rounds of golf, and you'll make your money back. When you combine that with 15% off at Civilic, the restaurant, and 15% off the pro shop, it's a guaranteed savings. Jump on that. There's also Parker and Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. Might be a great time to get a tankless water heater before the holidays. Saves you a lot of money if you have people spending the night coming over, spending some time as family. If they're traveling in and using your home as a hotel, you're going to like having a tankless water heater where you never run out of hot water. Call 602-2-REPAIR to inquire about it. If you're hungry today, Burrito Express, seven locations across the east side. Best breakfast burrito you're ever going to have. Bell's Nashville Kitchen, Scottsdale, and just off of just on Main Street in Old Town. Best sandwich in all of Arizona, the Nashville Hot Chicken Sandwich. Rosati's Bar and Sports Bar, Ray and McQueen in uh, in Chandler, and Hundred Mile Brewing Company, which is located in Tempe at Rural Scottsdale and the 202. The main events up next. I'll see you tomorrow with more Ron Miniger.